This is no small part. No small part. No small part. This is no small parts. I am Brittany Brewer. Okay. Are you are you all cozy? I see you have like a nice mug. Yeah, I, I'm I am in my bed. Um yeah, so I am I'm as cozy as I can be right now. Yeah. This is Kat Ramirez. Are you drinking like something tasty? It's just, I think it's an orange tea. I recently helped um, a friend who's out of the, who's out of the country move into a storage unit because they have to remain out of the country um, for a bit. Um, And so they have a ton of like non-perishable and non-perishable food that I took and part of it, they had a huge tea collection. So I'm just, there's this like Tazo orange tea that I have. It's like very acidic but it's not bad. Um, I think it'll help me like stay awake, which is good. Yeah, how about you? I am drinking, yeah, like an herbal tea. It's like a combo of citrus, mint, and hibiscus, and and, uh, passion flower. That sounds awesome, damn. Kat is a Philly-based theater director and performance producer. The orange tea sounds delightful. Is it caffeinated? I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I'll tell you in like five minutes because my body is like really caffeine sensitive. Um, and I think if it's caffeinated, like you'll be able to tell. Um, but yeah, no, no, no idea. I was like, it, caffeine might help me in this situation, but like, I don't want to expect it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I totally get that. On today's episode of No Small Parts, Kat talks through her trajectory from apprentice to producer-in-residence to theater professional, discusses how important readings are to the play development process, and shares their producer thought process behind making director-playwright pairings for a reading they recently produced. Cheers! Uh, Okay, so tell me about your starting point, your entry point into theater. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, So... I don't know. There's um, there's an artist named Makoto Hirano who's like really lovely um, dance performance theater artist, um, and who I've been lucky enough to just like glean wisdom from um, throughout the last several years. Um, and something he said to me is always like has always stuck out. Um, I think he said it right after um, Tiger Style, which is the first full production that like I ever produced um, and it was for Philadelphia Asian Performing Artists which is the group that I run uh, or I'm the creative director of we all run it um, all the members um, but yeah I think we were we were at a bar um, celebrating the show and I was asking you know how how he was doing and something he said was like and he heard this from like a podcast somewhere else um, so I'm sure it gets deeper credit than just Makoto, but I'm just crediting Makoto because that's where I heard it from. Um, but he said that like something around the lines of like when you look back on your life, things make a straight line, but it doesn't necessarily feel like that um, when you're living it. That's interesting. And so like I that's how I feel about like how I came to how I came to theater and then like even within that journey how I came to do what I'm doing now um and so like if I look back on the like straight line of my life I was like oh yeah I was always kind of just like a performy child 
Um, and that like, I was that kid who would like make dances with their friends and make us perform them in front of family members at family <laughs> events and things like that. Um, I was always trying to like um, build events and like, or build like tiny pieces and like bring folks together. I, I never put that, I, I never put those things together for a while, um, but I think I always had um, kind of those impulses. Um, I think my, my into performing was largely in music. Um, as a kid, I was always singing um, and I really loved, yeah, I really loved singing and I did that through grade school and high school and took voice lessons and all that. Um, and I did, I, I think I did like some performance throughout my life. Um, I think my first role was in like a, was it my grade school like talent show when I was in like fourth grade, I played like Pontius Pilate in the Easter pageant. Um, and like that feels like a really dope first role. Um, but I, I remember doing that and um, specifically, I remember like, I was not a good actor. I'm still not a good actor. You don't want me to do that. But I remember like reading the script. It was like my one big scene where I decide to like kill Jesus. And like somebody comes up and I'm like, are you sure you want to kill Jesus? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm really sure I want to kill Jesus. And But it starts because it's early. It's like early in the morning and whoever wakes Pontius Pilate up. And I remember for my entrance, I was like, oh, I know how to make this special. I'm going to stretch my arms out and yawn. <laughs> And that was my scene work, um, and that was my script analysis. Oh my gosh. Um, and I remember being really proud of that. Um, but yeah, I didn't really like take theater um, or performance very seriously as a career um, until I went to college. Before that, I think I was always interested in creative forms, but I was really, really interested in writing primarily. And I was like, maybe I'll like sing, but that's more of a hobby. Um, and I was interested in creative writing. And then, um, yeah, and I did theater in high school, but and I and I liked it, but I I wasn't getting cast in a lot of things, and I also one because I probably wasn't very good. Um, I think I also think too um, maybe as a performer of color that had to do with something. I grew up in a largely white town, um, yeah. and honestly, like my my perception of race at that time was so complicated that I'm still trying to just like suss out what that looks like um, as somebody who is involved in the performing arts. Cause I'm like, I'm still learning so much about, I'm still learning so much about like what I thought of my racial identity then that I don't know. Um, but whoa, this is a long answer. Um, mm -hmm. When I did theater, like I was, I was primarily an athlete in high school. Um, I did a lot of things. I was a big overachiever. Um, it was really important to me to get into a good under, like to get into a good undergraduate school. So I did a bit of everything, and that's kind of where theater fell. The thing I was really serious about um, was sports, um, and so I was actually um, I played vol I played basketball first really seriously, um, but then due mm -hmm. to injury, about halfway through high school, I had to stop doing that. So I switched to playing volleyball seriously, and so one of the ways I was trying to go to school was like. Um, trying to play on various like division three volleyball teams. I wasn't tall enough to like do anything more. Um, but yeah, before I, right before um, my like last game that I was supposed to play in high school and I had already committed to a school and things um, and was planning to play volleyball, you know, all four years in 
college, I ended up tearing my Achilles tendon. Um, and I had had several surgeries, mostly due to knees before that. Um, and that was kind of, that was kind of the last straw. I was like, oh, you know, after this fifth surgery, I probably should stop playing sports. Um, so mm. when I got to college, I didn't really like the extracurricular I had planned to do outside of classes, like I wasn't doing. Um, and so in order to fill that time, I auditioned for the plays. And I only got into one play, um, but it was this like, before I think I knew what the term devised was, it was like devised piece on like body image. For more information on devised theater, listen to No Small Parts, episode six with Brendan Dahl. And I met a ton, mostly freshmen got into it, and I met a ton of freshmen who were, ta who were planning to be drama majors and were taking the intro class um, at the time. And they were all like, you should take this class. I think it's really cool. You should be a drama major with us. And I was like, but I, I want to be, I want to be like an English major and I want to have like this creative, I want to have like other things. And, but in spring I was like, you know what? I'll take it. I, I like these people. This was a really fun process. And, um, the drama program for my undergrad is, um, an experimental theater program. And so the 101, or 102, it was, I think, Drama 102. It, the way it taught theater, like everything clicked and made sense to me in, in a way that like, it never did with music and it never did with writing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, oh, the way I'm analyzing these pieces is the way that I've always wished I could analyze. Um, the way I always wished I could analyze a short story or the way I, that cool. I am making these things feels more like tangible and accomplished um, than how I had in the past. And so kind of like after that class, I was like, okay, great, I'm all in, I'm studying theater. This is this is what mm -hmm. I'm doing now. Um, and that's kind of how I think I came to theater more specifically was like, what, what the theater was at my high school was not necessarily, was not necessarily like what, what made sense to me, but like this particular class that was really focused on that, that really like articulated so well that like every single thing you do is a choice and like how meticulous you have to be around what you craft and um, as well as like, it doesn't have to just be, I don't know, it doesn't have to just be like this very um, narrow definition of what theater is, of mm -hmm. what like musical theater is or like bright eyed, yeah. big motion um, kind of realism and that theater could be not that Mm -hmm. um, really kind of blew a lot of that wide open. Um, yeah. And I just kind of haven't really stopped since. Did you, so did you intend to go to school as you said English slash creative writing? Yeah. Yeah. So I intended to go to, I, I like, I wanted to be like a short story author. Um, and again, not a great writer. Um, but I think I really liked writing. Um, and I, th I was a really slow writer too. And I think finding out in, theater was like something that I was like, oh, this comes a little bit easier um, in a way that other art forms didn't necessarily. And that that also felt really exciting. Um, yeah. So now I just, yeah, but that's that's it. Like, I really wanted to be a writer. I think I did. I took like playwriting classes and things like that um, in college, but um, ended up my path ended up being more like directing and producing focused and that that works well for me. Um, I. I feel good about those things. Yeah. 
That is so neat to me, though. I like, and I wonder, and I see, like, if in your work as a director, you get to kind of write in your own way, like you're writing slash interpreting, and as you help bring something to life, it still kind of exists. Yeah, no, and that's, I, I think that's what was really exciting, was, like, I'm not necessarily... I don't love like being super like siloed and doing my work. I am really, I, I am like really collaborative in process um, to a fault and that is something I need to work on. Um, but, and I, meet, I, I don't necessarily mean that in the room so much as like I need to have more patience to sit down and like do my prep work. Yeah. Um, I think as so many of us have to work on. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think directing as well as producing is like it's a different type of control over the narrative um, that I've found works really well for who I am. Um, yeah. And can you remind me where you went to undergrad? Oh, yeah. I'm um, sorry. I went to Vassar. Cool. Cool. cool yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I yeah. And I've got I, I don't think I'm by any means like a spokesperson for that college, um, but I I, I do credit the undergraduate program with like um, with like laying a really strong foundation of how I make work and I'm really grateful to that um, yeah I'm not grateful to other things about that school but um, a lot of the things that I learned there um, I've been able like I've really appreciated so your Vassar entryway was like this interesting devised piece you mentioned what was your journey after that there as you began to dig into theater more I think I started I, I tried to direct something I think like my second semester of my freshman year like, like they I forget the name of the like club but um that one of the theater clubs did like a 10 act play festival or a 10 minute play festival um at the top of every year um so I was able to just direct a 10 minute play that I had like written a while ago. Um, and that was like really cool. And I was like, oh yeah, this, this makes sense. I really like, um, I really like being in charge and like telling people what to do. Yeah. And I, th I think in college, like you don't necessarily have, you, you don't really have like the articulation of what like producing is. So in many ways, like directing is like the top of where you can go. Yes. And, yeah. um, I definitely have a like complicated relationship with power um, and I think for me I'm somebody who is like naturally inclined towards a lot of like leadership sort of roles um, and so like directing made a lot of sense um, yeah. I want to I'd like to say that like I for me and leadership like it's something I always aspired towards but that skill wasn't something I had really honed I, I like started mindfully honing until I left college so like by no means was I good um but yeah um in the same way that I think by no like anybody looking back on their like past self was like oh wow um yeah and so yeah and so I started directing pretty early on in undergrad and realized like oh that's the thing I really want to like focus on so I did a lot of that um, the program was also a, um, like a BA program. For more information on BA programs versus BFA programs, listen to No Small Parts, Episode 2 with Hunter Robinson. So you got a pretty general um, theater education. So I did a lot in like sound design also, and I found that was so 
that was and still and still remains to be just like so helpful in like my arsenal of tools. It's um, really cool. Somebody gave me like really great advice um, a while ago, and it was just like, oh, as a director, you need to get to know one at least one design element really, really well, hmm. um, so you can like speak that language and use that as like an in to the design world of the play. Um, and so that's for me been sound. That's awesome. Um, pretty regularly, and I've always found that really helpful. Um, yeah, but then, so I went through undergrad and then after college, um, took about like a year or so, just kind of like living at home, um, and saving up money and yeah. then realized when I had, um, fortunate enough to have like some money saved, I was like, oh, I actually want to spend this on travel. Um, yeah. and so, um, when, and like spent a summer just like solo backpacking Europe um, and like built the trip around seeing, um, I, oh God, this is like five or six years ago now, um, but like built the trip around like seeing various um, festivals um, around That's Europe, cool. like music and theater um, and like wow. visual art um, because I knew I was going to be like try, like uh, that year after um, I um, had gotten like an apprenticeship at Interact Theater Company and things. And I was like, well, I'm gonna, I want to prep by like seeing a lot of art and feeling really yeah. excited about art again um, so that I can like go into go into like my first attempt at like really trying to like do this professionally and like feel empowered and feel inspired um, and start that off on a foot where I feel really powerful. Um, and so yeah, I started in Philly. Um, really in earnest, because I had done some like tiny things, but in earnest, I really started as an apprentice with Interact, um, Interact Theater Company. Um, and before that, I like, I really had no interest in working on, uh, in working on like any sort of scripted theater. I was like, I'm gonna devise. I really love devising. Um, I did a lot of it in school. That was the thing I felt really passionately about. And um, I was living at home with my parents at the time, and my mom just kept getting on my case about applying to apprenticeships. And she was like, mm. this is how you can get a foot in the door, and this is how you can do things. And like, honestly, I applied to get her off my back a little bit. Um, yeah. And I ended up getting this apprenticeship, and it ended up being a really lovely experience. Um, I don't know if you can hear, there are some like sirens going past me right now. Um, so I can pause for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear anything now? It's like it's faded into the background. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, great. Um, yeah, so great. Yeah, so I applied to the Interact Apprenticeship really, really in some ways because my mom kept, kept hounding me and I'm grateful to have a mom who is so invested in my, in like make, trying to make sure that like, I have a viable career as an artist. I, th I think that's really sweet. Um, but yeah, and so I started and I started learning more about the new play process. Um, and I thought, and that seemed really interesting. I think prior to that, even though I had taken playwriting classes, I think I've always, I had always seen scripts as very much a thing that was like, okay, once it's, once it's done, once you got a draft done, it's like set and you mm -hmm. go on to production and like, like, I don't I, I really don't know what I thought as dry. like a 20 year old I'm like great you write a play and then it's produced 50 times um yeah and so um spending time at Interact and seeing um the inner workings of how how a theater company was run and like 
what what the professional element of a career in theater looks like um, was so important uh, because I did not I didn't learn that in undergrad. We had very little professional uh, professional development there, mm-hmm. um, and because this wasn't a career I had ever considered prior, like I had no idea what you needed to do after. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it gave me it gave me a lot of perspective on um, the systems with which we have to like work with right now, or at least the like mid-sized regional systems that you have to work with. And yeah, I I don't know I don't know why, but like Seth um, at the end of the Interact apprenticeship asked me to um, apply for a producer in residence um, with Interact. For more on the same producer in residence fellowship, listen to No Small Parts episode eight with Maura Krauss. Um, yes, yeah. I thought that was really lovely. Um, and so I applied and I really didn't expect to get it, but I did. And then, uh, yeah, and then I spent the next year producing not necessarily, not the shows that interact, but some like smaller sort of events. Um, we, I did a happy hour series. Um, I produced a lot of talkbacks. Um, I was yeah. doing a reading series for uh, Philadelphia Asian performing artists um, that I wasn't leading the group at the time, but we were able to like work into the grant um, to help produce for that. And so started started learning about kind of the patterns and the way and how you make things happen. Um, mm-hmm. And that was that was kind of exciting too. Um, I feel like I'm not giving as clear of an outline as I could be, but um, so like, but then after that, I didn't get a second year of the producer in residence, um, but I ended up at the Asian Arts Initiative, uh, which is where I was for several years. And um, I was producing a larger variety of programming there, um, mm-hmm. and which I found really exciting. Um, so I stayed there for a pretty long time. I'm like finishing up with, I'm finishing up with like my more formal capacity with them um, at the end of the month. But I, I've been able to like really push kind of the different forms that you can make happen in a way that was feels really important to me um, because I think. Um, just doing like a three show season isn't necessarily the thing that like makes me super excited. Um, and so some, I think the way my mind works um, and the way I work best has to do with um, having, to, having to do like multiple different things and learn a lot of different things so that it feels like I'm doing something very different every time. Um, I'm not somebody who responds very well to like a nine to five job. And when things start to get, when things start to get a little bit regular, I get like really grumpy and I don't, I don't realize it until after the fact, but I don't become (laughs) a very fun person to work with. Um, And so being able to keep a wide variety of like the things I make and what I do um, feels really important. And I'm grateful to have a career where I'm like, okay, great. I can be doing a book fair one day or I could also be directing, I could also be directing a devised piece, or I can be doing this new script, or I could be doing like something very different from all of that. Yeah. And that feels really, that feels really cool. I like backtrack a little bit over the highlights because there were a lot of like little interesting pieces. Um, backing up closer to the beginning, what were some of the things you feel like you took the way most from the apprenticeship and what was that transition like into working there as like a producer in residence? Yeah. Okay. So from the apprenticeship, 
Honestly, I think connections were a really, really big yeah. one. Um, yeah. I don't think I would have been able to have like met and learned from like as many people as um, I did during my time at Interact. Um, yeah, I think being able to be like, oh yeah, I just kind of like got to hang out with a ton of actors who I'd been like seeing on stage for a while um, and, or like I got to like speak up and speak up in season selection. Cool. Um, and I think I, I have really, really terrible anxiety and terrible social anxiety. Um, and um, particularly as an apprentice and when I was younger, um, that, that came out really hard. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, I was that person who like, at season selection meetings, I would get so nervous that like people would ask for my opinion and I'd like run out of the room crying. Um, I like, it was very hard for me. And so like being able to be in a space where I could kind of like talk and work through that, to be in a space that I knew like people supported me in trying to like figure out um, how to like voice a lot of my own opinions when I I'd, like felt like there wasn't ever any space for me to do that before um, yeah. was really cool and really scary. And it's been really, it, I don't know, it's really wild to like think back to um, me as that as that person because like the anxiety is still like there and real yeah. all the time um but to be like oh shit i really have grown yeah um, th this is a really great barometer that i can be in a meeting and not burst out into tears yeah. when people like look at me um that's felt really cool and i think interact was a place that um helped me in that um danny guy who was i think ended his time at interact as the general manager um but i forget what his title was when I first got there. He was my boss when I was an apprentice and okay. was um, really, really wonderful in just like um, kind of pushing me to um, uh, pushing me to like own, mm -hmm. um, own my own power and things in many ways. Um, and so that that I'm really grateful for is to a, a lot of like thoughtful uh, folks I was able to meet and who were able to be like no you can like say things like people actually want to hear the things that you have to say like that's that's cool that was cool yeah. and that that was the big thing they gave me as an apprentice um mm -hmm. transitioning over to a producer in residence was like i think it was tricky um i'm definitely somebody who's a little like my work style i'm a little bit slow on the pickup of a lot of things um i'm a i'm a slow learner um I will say that like when I learn things, I can make a lot of things happen and like I can grow pretty quickly, but it takes me a while to like figure out a rhythm and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a lot of what I was doing at Interact was like in that transition was like figuring out what I was doing um, for the first mm -hmm. several months. Um, and I think in the middle of that, I was the producer of residence uh, for 2016-2017 season. So very early on, um, Trump was elected. Uh. And I think that put like all arts institutions, I think in some ways, um, and we're going through this again now because like nobody did enough um, to address a lot of the really shitty things going on with like the nonprofit industrial complex at that time. Um, but yeah, I think that during that particular transition, I had had a lot of like programming space free um, at Interact and um, 
was able to like meet and be like, oh, okay, how do we want to address this particularly as a theater company that, um, that focuses on political work? Um, so I was given a lot of freedom in terms of how to program in yeah. response. And that was really cool. I think like, I think like my apprentice year was very much about like being like, it's okay, people want to like listen to you. Mm-hmm. And then the producer in residence year was like, like now, now you kind of have to do now, now like, yeah, people want to listen to you. And they're like, yeah, now like people kind of have to, like you need to, you in order to get paid, you kind of have to consistently be building things based on like your opinions and your own That's views. Cool. So I got kind of thrown into that. Um, yes. And that worked out all right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you were, you also produced a produced, supported a reading for Papa during that time? Uh, no, I produced four readings for Papa. I produced a reading series uh, for Papa during that time. And wow, so that okay. was, I had like co-produced with uh, Steph Walters a reading that summer. So I had like done a hand, like, yeah, I think my first glancing with like producing plays was definitely through readings first. Um, so yeah, I did a four play reading series there and that was the first of so many readings that I've had to produce in my time. <laughs> yeah. When was your, um, I, I feel like this might be a silly question. When was your first experience with readings before even producing? I think I saw them, I saw them at college. Cool. I remember seeing them, like only like one or two. Um, and I know at like playwriting classes, you know, we would all sit around and like read each other's words. And so I guess that would be like the first reading um, would be something like that. But the like, I remember seeing a handful of like, um, like script in hand readings or like music stand sort of readings at school. Um, I don't think I ever realized like how, how many readings existed until like I, after, after undergrad and after like after you don't realize that like everything's a production (laughs) um and that like readings are very important to the development process and also something you do when you don't have enough money to produce a full production (laughs) um so i don't think i fully like grasped what readings were until until i wasn't necessarily in that world um but yeah would you talk about one of your most memorable experiences producing a reading? Okay, um, producing a reading. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I would say like the largest part was um, this past this past January um, into February. Uh, we had a reading series for the Papa Playwrights Project, um, which was the first. Um, which the Papa, Play- the Papa Playwrights Project was started by um, Stephanie Kyunsung Walters, who's a really amazing, amazing local um, Korean American playwright who everybody should be producing. Um, I'm really touched to work work on her work and like also watch her grow as um, as a leader in this in the Asian American writing community. She had come to me with an idea for starting um, a writers cohort. Um, I guess back in the summer of 2019 and yeah she had started this writers group uh because um Philly Asian performing artists um we do a lot of work around um representation in the performing arts in Philadelphia we've got a real self-explanatory name um but 
yeah, I think we had seen slowly um, more um, Asian and Asian American plays being done in the theater landscape, but nothing necessarily by um, by local writers. And for this, I'm using like playwrights, uh, the definition of playwright as like somebody who is writing something to be produced multiple times. There are a ton of really, really amazing um, writers in the city who have who have been writing like work for work for themselves or their theater companies for years. So like Justin Jane or Bijan Yo or Makoto have all written a dirt of amazing material. Um, but we hadn't seen any like um, playwrights who were getting, who were local, who were getting produced. Um, and so Steph wanted to start cultiva cultivating our writing community. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a cohort of four writers that she led for, I want to say like a little bit over a year long process. And that culminated in a reading series this past January and February. It was the first reading series um, of all local Asian American playwrights. Um, and that was really, really cool. Um, and I think really meaningful. And yeah, the first, the first reading was this really, really sweet um, play called Bread and Butter by Pratima Agrawal. Um, who was one of our residents. It was about a new mom um, who um, was recently was recently divorced and raising a daughter on her own and decided to enter the US's equivalent of the Great British Bake Off. Um, and it was really, it, it was really, it was a really like heartening piece about motherhood and also grappling with like what it means to be um, cooking as a South Asian person and how that food is perceived. Mm. Um, and it was a big, it, it was a big cast. It was like, I, I want to say like eight characters, mm -hmm. um, seven or eight characters. And it was really amazing to be like, oh yeah, actually I haven't seen, I haven't seen this many South Asian folks on stage in a while and that, or period. And that, yeah. that is a shame. And also how powerful to be in a room while that is happening. Um, I thought that was really beautiful um, and amazing that Pratima wrote that. And so like, and it was cool to just like throughout the weekend also see what every other writer has had to bring to the table. Um, it was a great chance to be like, great, Steph's working on, we got to see a reading of like the next part of Steph's like Philadelphia Koreatown trilogy, which was really amazing. And to see like how mindfully she weaves like the, the world, the like immediate context of Philadelphia into her work. Um, Clarice Park worked on a really thought-provoking piece around a thought-provoking like sci-fi piece around gun violence um, that was really that was like really powerful and interesting to see what that perspective looks like what her perspective looks like how um, I think uh, Arthur Robinson had a piece called Water Moon that was a horror play uh, working through um, some like Chinese mythology um, and that that was really, I, I hadn't seen, I, I, don't, I don't see like the horror genre done very often, no. so that felt really exciting. And then Amy Bailey wrote um, a piece called Childlike um, around like, it was with a little bit of magical realism around like struggling with um, depression and burnout. And yeah, um, and what it means to have um, a relationship with like um, Asian parents and mm -hmm. It, and I think Amy has this incredible sense of comedic timing and this really phenomenal writing style. Um, but it was amazing to just like see so many um, so many plays from local 
local Asian American writers and then see so many Asian actors on yes. stage in that short period of time. It was really cool. Um, I think oftentimes because reading, like I had done produce so many readings before and things start to like feel a little bit pure formulaic, I was like, ah oh, man, this really snuck up on me because readings always sneak up on you. Um, and um, I was just like, oh man, I guess I, gu I guess we're doing this now. And then on the like first day on Pratima's reading, I was like, oh shit, right, this is really special. Uh, what we're doing is really special and really important. So it kind of like reminded me not to uh, not to take like this part of the process uh, for granted. Oh gosh, why is that too? Is it because they always seem like they're going to be less work than they are? <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, I think it's because they seem like they're going to be less work, but also at least so often you do them in you do them in like batches and you do them as like grouped programming. Um, so like. Like, I think you know the amount of work it takes for, like, one reading, but then when when you put more on top of it, it's like, oh, yeah, this actually is a hellish world of, like, scheduling 15 different, like, actor schedules and things like that. But, like, I don't, I don't anticipate the work to add up. I know how much it takes mm -hmm. to do one reading, but doing five, um, I expect it to be the amount of work of one, and it never is. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I also think for just like, like for small folks who are self-producing, you do have to like offer a level of forgiveness for like missing your deadlines because mm -hmm. you inevitably do and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. This is maybe a bit of an intensive question. When you talk a bit about the different roles you played as a producer of those readings, it sounds like you... Um, were navigating casting, that you were navigating um, planning rehearsals, like setting a rehearsal schedule. What are some of the roles or responsibilities as a producer of this reading that you took on that folks might not know? Sort of like what does producing entail or what did it for that reading? I mean, in part it depends on, in part it's gonna depend on your director sometimes, what the roles you take on are. Um, the most, in intensive producing of a reading is like one you definitely are going to be the person acquiring the space mm. um and that doesn't always have to be in a theater um but you're going to be the person who makes sure you're acquiring the space you have money for the space um or are trying to find free space um but space is usually a very important thing um, in rehearsal space and performance space are different. This is true. Most theaters utilize different spaces for performances and for rehearsals. Like Kat mentions, if you are able to not pay for a rehearsal space, you can save a good amount of money in producing a reading. Don't underestimate the value of rehearsing in a space in someone's home. And I straight up just like to know a lot of this stuff when I started. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think I've done I've done everything from scheduling the rehearsals um, to um, casting. Occasionally, I, I've gotten a split with like some directors really for a reading really want to be the people casting their reading. I know me as a director, I prefer when I cast my readings, um, mm -hmm. but I've met some who don't and I think that's totally fine. Um, in part, like when we've brought in directors who might not know um, who might not know the like community um, mm -hmm. or might not know like the acting pool quite as well, I can usually cast for them. Um, sometimes, usually I schedule the rehearsals for people. Um, we don't, 
um, for our reading series. If, I, if you don't have a stage manager, um, yeah. we'll have somebody who schedules for it. We'll, I'll be the person who will schedule. Um, and I don't mind that. I like puzzling type work. Um, you need to find, like, finding people to read stage directions. Um, yeah, I guess is some of it. These feel so benign. It's fine. Um, finding funding for the reading, yes. um, deciding whether or not you want this to be pay what you decide or free or um, with a price uh, or with a set price point um, is always a question. Um, I think like making sure that like people feel good. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. Making sure people feel good and making sure like just general scheduling how that works out. Um, Reading series can sometimes be tricky. I had to do rehearsal schedules for like five different um, pieces, and a lot of times the rehearsals would overlap. We've, we've been really lucky in that like we have partnerships who have offered us free space mm -hmm. before, and that's been that's been hugely influential. I would stress that like I wouldn't be able to produce the amount of readings that I had if I didn't have um, the partnerships that have allowed for free space um, because that is whenever you're producing like that eats up so much of your budget um and has his and like historically when i when i have had to pay for space that takes up so much more i think with i think with papa we had all of our playwrights in house so we had them involved mm -hmm. in the process and they were local um so we didn't necessarily have to like um bring anybody in uh but in the past making sure that like playwrights if they want to come for the reading that you arrange their travel and you make sure that they have like sit downs with all the directors beforehand and you get a lot of those conversations started um mm -hmm. yeah and I think oh and then for this reading series selecting the directors for for the shows sometimes playwrights want to sometimes playwrights know who their director for the piece is and they're like yes that person this is the person I've been working with for a while and Papa, our playwrights project, a lot of our writers are um, emerging. Are emerging like this is their for for this one. This was everybody's first play reading, and so um, when I had talked to folks about like ideal directing pairings, they were like, "Oh, actually, like I don't know," and I was just like, mm -hmm. "Oh, that's fine. I got you. We can we can figure this out." So that's awesome. Um, and. I find a lot of that, I, I do find a lot of like the casting and the like directing choice work really exciting for me um, as somebody yeah. who loves like curation work um, and like finding pairings, that was really great. Mm -hmm. um, so like, for example, let's see, for example, like Arthur Robinson's reading um, when we, when I talked to Arthur around like his once for a director, they talked about how like they wanted somebody familiar with like a particular genre um, or they wanted somebody who um, is aligned with like some goals and values. Um, and so thinking about that, um, reading through these things, I was like, oh, well, we don't necessarily within our membership have a director who it was like horror. specialization is like horror theater yeah. or has like extensive theater of the oppressed knowledge, at least not to what I know. Mm -hmm. But if we're looking for a really like goals based and intentional process, um, Daniel Park is actually going to be a really good director for that. Um, so that pairing came up because I think I was like, oh, that's a person who is going to actually push you into figuring out like and articulating what you want for the piece. Um, that's useful. And so that's kind of how that pairing came about. Um, I think Amy, Amy Bailey, um, Casual, um, Owens Fields directed uh, that reading and Casual is just 
truly an underrated director in Philly. I think she's really, really strong, and particularly at New Play Work, her mind works really quickly. Um, but I think in looking for Amy, in looking for a director for Amy's reading, um, we had worked with Casual on on a reading for a play called Model Minority. I want to say um, a couple years back, and um, she had a really strong grasp of she had a really strong grasp of like humor and um, the tempo that Amy likes to write in, um, and um, had worked with Amy prior in that reading where she was directing him. So I was like, oh, that's a person who they're familiar with each other, have a bit of a rapport. This will be a fast process. Um, so it, mm -hmm. um, so I think that was important. Um, and is somebody who um, I think would be able to like grasp, yeah, grasp like the spirit of the piece really well. Um, and so I think that was a pairing and also just like being a really a fan of Casual's work. Um, I think for, for Steph, that was like tricky and hard. We had to sit down. Um, I've worked with Steph on a handful of her plays as a director and we had to sit down and um, I was like, I think I need to direct somebody else's work for this for this festival. Um, and I directed Clarice's piece. Um, just, um, I think I, Clarice has like a really intense, heart forward writing style. And I was really excited about the intensity of that piece. Um, whereas Steph is like all magical realism, incredible language. Um, I love working with Steph. Uh, um, but when we were talking about, oh, who, who is going who is the director for this piece i was like honestly like joe ahmed who is um an incredible artist whose strengths are really in this their imagination is kind of like incredible it's like not is like a really magical thing um they're really they're smart and they um they were in like a very very early dramaturgy reading of the play um Back in the summer, we did a round of dramaturgy readings for our playwrights before um, they had to go up in front of people so that they That's knew great. where they needed to go. Um, and yeah. Joe was cast in that and like immediately understood the play. And so, and like um, has a really has a really keen eye for pairing like incredibly vulnerable moments with incredibly funny moments. Um, and that's kind of what a lot of Steph's piece really called on, mm -hmm. um, was trying to figure out that balance. Cause that's also like kind of the magic of Steph as a writer and also as just like a person is that like, she's incredibly hilarious. And then we'll just like hit you with some like incredibly deep, incredibly like deep and vulnerable, personal, complicated knowledge. Um, yeah. I think it's a lot, like, I think if you're producing a reading expected, you could do a lot of different things. The definite things you are going to do are like, Figuring out your space and figuring out a ton of figuring out a ton of schedules and marketing, um, yeah, marketing, figuring out images and like figuring out the timeline for all of that. So it was primarily like a, mostly a celebration and like a, sh a true sharing, like a sharing of versus like seeking feedback. It sounds like you all had readings almost preceding that that were more closed for feedback. Yeah, we did um, a closed set of dramaturgy readings in the month of August. Um, this was back when we had we had originally planned for the reading series to take place in December, but because of a lot of like scheduling, um, yeah, because of scheduling, we realized like pushing it was going to be the most helpful thing and the playwrights mm -hmm. were like gracious enough to give us a little bit more time. Um, 
but yeah, no, in August we did closed door dramaturgy readings um, yeah. for every play um, where we brought in all, we brought in actors and then would dramaturg for everybody to hear everything out loud and then offer about like an hour or so of feedback. I think also the like, the readings themselves were also there for feedback, but we weren't going to, um, we, we weren't planning to do any like a anything too formal in terms of talkbacks um, because mm -hmm. this is their first time sharing. Uh, this was a chunk of them, like their first time sharing their work as playwrights. And like, yeah. that's such a vulnerable process in and of itself. Um, we had post-it notes, we had like post-it notes and like some writing prompts for folks who wanted to share, but um, trusted that like the playwrights would have people in the audience who like if they wanted that feedback they would ask could you maybe speak to an unexpected challenge you've had at some point while producing a reading i think the thing i struggle with most for readings is i struggle marketing them um yeah and i would yeah i might i i would throw that under unexpected just because i um it's not that i forget to market readings <laughs> every time but they can be really tricky to figure out um, as particularly as a company that like, you know, we're not somebody with like a huge subscriber base um, and we haven't necessarily cultivated the like, the new work element, figuring out like how to, how to talk about how important this is to see in front of an audience. I'm like, well, it's not a production, but it's really cool to see people reading something in progress. Um, yeah, I haven't quite, I haven't quite gotten gotten the marketing of the marketing of a reading series um down yeah. yes and that that is generally like a challenge that i run into i'm like i don't know how much time we how long we want to be pushing this for is this something that we should be advertising for many many months in advance is this not um figuring out yeah who is your audience for this um who are the people who you want to see uh, yeah who are the people who you want in the room for works in progress um, for our for our piece to make sure the houses felt a little bit bigger. Um, we just like we would block off um, usually the top three or four rows of audience just to like make sure there that folks like didn't spread out too much and they compacted a bit more, um, which worked out great. It would, we still got yeah. like decent audience size for our reading series, but yeah, yeah, generally. Yeah, marketing can be marketing can be tricky when you don't necessarily have like um, a a built-in very invested audience in your work. And we we've got some audience, but yeah, um, trying to figure out how to trying to convey the importance of what the reading series like the importance of a reading series um, can be tricky. It's definitely an interesting component, and I think too, like if you're producing a reading early on in your career or you're like an emerging producer or whatever that means I, I i wouldn't necessarily think of marketing right away i think it would be one of those things i'm like oh shoot yeah 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 that sneaks up as you continue to potentially produce more readings or staged readings what would be a few of your make or breaks or components that you would focus on for sure like your must-haves i think it and, and I would say this goes for me as a director, me as a producer. It depends on the script. Mm -hmm. um, there are some scripts where I'm like, oh, we really don't need to block. They, yeah, I've I've done it. I've run the gamut of like scripts where like I'm not here to block. Um, I, I'm here to really like facilitate a room where 
the writer can make as many changes to the piece as possible, so I might not have as much time to get something on its feet, um, depending on where that script is in process. Um, I've also had pieces where like, I like blocking, um, so I, I, I do really enjoy like blocking moments. Um, so depending on how much time I have, I'm gonna try to like put something in yeah. that is going to be um, give a little bit more of like a visual representation of like what production might look like um, would be really fun. And like, yeah, how do you emotionally interpret a lot of the stage directions? And again, a lot of it depends on like where the script is at in terms of production and what it needs. Um, and so, yeah, it really, it really depends on like what does what does the what does the playwright need to like further their process? Um, if it's a if it's just a reading of a script where the playwright isn't there and the script is already set, like absolutely like block like one hundred percent like block that reading, make it really fun. Um, mm-hmm. For more on blocking, listen to No Small Parts episode eleven with Michael Philip O'Brien. That would be my. Yeah, um, when, yeah. It, it, the script is already set, um, like have full directorial range. That, that's really yeah. important, I think, and to feel like you can do anything. Um, I think if the script is still in progress and the playwright is coming, like talk to your playwright, make sure you know what they want um, from that final product, what they need to see and how they're trying to get from point A to point B, because that really might not involve blocking, um, having to block your scenes. Um, I think the big must is like, actors that can make big choices. Um, That's true. I think yeah. like having actors who are really invested in the piece is something in process and um, want to make just like massive choices on the text rather than like what they think the text wants them or like what they think the playwright might want them to do um, is is a must for me. Um, and I, yeah, I, and I think generally like for specifically like new play readings making sure there's a there there's a culture of like experimentation and embracing um embracing different comments and experiences um going in but i'm just like yeah i I think for me like the must is like well whatever the playwright needs feels like a big must to me i just meant to bring up earlier um asking about how you ended up intersecting with orbiter three and it totally oh yeah gotcha no, that was a, that was a cool brief thing. Um, yeah, the year that I was a producer in residence for Interact, I think a lot of it is Interact um, yes. in some ways. Erin mm-hmm. um, Washburn, um, who, God, er, yeah, I love Erin so much. Um, but like Erin Washburn was at Interact um, when I when I was an apprentice there, um, and I think was there uh, doing some literary work, and then when and then became a part-time staffer. I can't remember if that was either when I was an apprentice or um, during my producer in residence, um, but she and I spent a ton of time together. Um, when I was a producer in residence, I was um, assi- I was brought on to assistant direct um, for Maura Krauss um, for Doug Williams' play for Orbiter, um, cool. which was really, which was really cool. I didn't know I didn't know Mora too well at the time, but like had gotten a call and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Um, Orbiter three is so cool. They seem They're really so cool. cool and uh, it felt like they were doing something really special. Um, yes. But yeah, I think their final for their final year, um, Mora um, and I 
they think more and Erin had both approached me and they're like, we need another person to just like do some company management and we don't fully know what this position is. Um, but for the final season, would you be able to do that? Um, and so I was like, yes, duh, um, I would really love that. Um, but again, I think part of that was just like connections that I was able to make um, and people who hopefully that they, I, they saw something like dependable. Um, I've got a pretty long history of like most of the jobs I take are like new are like newish positions or people or positions where people are like, we don't know. And I'm like, OK, great. I'm going to spend like I'll, I'll usually spend like four to six months like flopping around, not really being <laughs> sure what's going on. And then I'll get an understanding of what and then I'll be like, OK, now I know what to do here. Um, but yeah, just that that was a role where I kind of did a lot of random things from like helping with pre-show setups to like, I don't know, helping build a ton of chairs because we didn't have enough <laughs> chairs for the audience um, to I, I, I sent some emails. I forget what I sent the emails about. Um, but yeah, doing a very wide variety of things, um, and also like, you know, offering support to um, offering support to Mora, um, who was artistic directing. Like artistic directing is a really is a really big job, and so and oftentimes so different from a lot of the like really nitty gritty work, um, and not um, not something I understood until I think the year after where I was creative producing um, Papa's next show as um, a creative director, artistic director, like there's, there's, um, there's like an emotional labor and a very expansive capacity that you need to have to hold a full like high level vision for something. Um, mm -hmm. Like the piece itself, as well as like the organizational context that actually is really hard to hold when you're doing all of the all of the tiny little things. Um, and so I think I helped with like the tiny little things so that to allow other people to hold um, the really big things um, to help make the culture of that space um, a successful one. For more on Orbiter 3 or to hear from Aaron Washburn or Maura Krauss, listen to No Small Parts, episode three and episode eight, respectively. Do you have any last um thoughts or offerings for any emerging artists who might listen who might want to tackle a reading um if you're doing a reading on someone else's set be sure to ask um if you can use the set um for a couple reasons one like you don't want to touch this you don't want to touch or move anything on the set that you're not supposed to move that's the primary thing like don't fuck up your host's house yes. um and two if they say yes you can do really cool shit um so i i think for the second for the reading series that i did um as a part of my producer in residence here interact um we were doing peerless uh by um jihai park um I, I happened to be directing that reading too because i loved that play i was like this is i i'm gonna call dips on this one i was grateful <laughs> um that i could um and yeah, it, it, the where it coincided was at the same time as Shitheads, which was uh, by oh, Douglas yeah. Williams, uh, which was a production by Azuka Theater. And the set was this really beautiful kind of realistic bike shop um, yes. that was put at a bit of an angle. And when I was talking to Alison Heishman um, about the set, I was like, can, I, can we be on it? And she was like, oh yeah, sure. Um, That's cool. I took pictures and I was like, this is what, and she was like, this is what you have to move. Um, but yeah, you can use um, some of the structural elements. And 
usually folks aren't quite as generous. Yeah. Yes. Um, but sometimes they are. Also, I directed a reading for Inishinua a while ago where we were on an Inishinua set where I, like we were allowed to use some of this we were allowed to use some of the like the seating elements. Cool. Um, and that was really helpful because of um, one like our actor we had some actors who needed to sit a lot um, and perform wanted to perform a lot sitting. Um, yeah. And also, um, two it helps. It, it helped add another like grounding point to the piece. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're performing on a set, um, be sure or like honestly, if you're even if you're in a bar or places, like ask a lot yes. of questions about what you can and can't use, um, because you might get some really interesting answers. I've done some like <laughs> script in hand readings in bars where I'm like, hey, so when the pool table is covered, can we stand on it? And they're like, oh yeah, even if it's uncovered, like we don't care. This thing is like <laughs> not too neat. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, like, yeah, um, always be really mindful of your space um, because that is going to help create what you can play, what, what the director and what the actors can play mm -hmm. within. Um, mm -hmm. That's really important. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. Ask, people, uh, ask people what they want. And if they don't know, like, make some decisions. <laughs> um, and that's very fine. Um, but yeah, you're also, again, you're gonna miss deadlines and that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. And also like, yeah, um, and learn to forgive yourself for not being like perfect every time. I have made, I, I can't tell you how many mistakes I have made in emails for readings. Um, and that's just, that's just gonna happen, um, particularly when you, if you're doing several readings in a row. Um, yes. Yeah, that's just the thing. Yes. And that's okay. Um, Make a Google Drive with um, some templates. Um, Smart. Yeah, have a Google Drive with template offers um, and have a Google Drive with like template schedules or, um, and like be sure to beforehand write down like the timelines that you are working on um, and set due dates for yourself. And know that you're, again, going to miss your due dates sometimes, but it's helpful to know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me again, Kat. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, that was Kat Ramirez. I am Brittany Brewer. This is No Small Parts. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. Word of mouth is our best form of advertising. You can find No Small Parts on Facebook, No Small Parts Podcast, Instagram, at No Small Parts Podcast, Twitter, at No Small Parts Pod. For more No Small Parts, visit our website at www.nosmallpartspodcast.com. <laughs>